Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 137. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. We're now deep into October. If you live in a place where the seasons change, the chill is back. Major League Baseball playoffs are back. The NBA is back. And Succession is back. Yes, my favorite show on television is back. And we're going to get into that and much more with our guest, Ariane Moyed, in just a few minutes. But before we do, now is still a time to stay vigilant. First of all, you don't get the vaccine for yourself. You get it for other people. No, I'm not saying. Hold on, for I want you said your piece. No, I'm I, I didn't say you do. I I got vaccinated. I can't wait to get the booster. I don't. You don't get vaccinated just for yourself. Like Adam said, you get vaccinated for your family first. You get vaccinated for your teammates second. Things like that. That's what bothers me about this whole thing. I think everybody should get vaccinated. The only, and let me tell you something, I really am proud of the Nets for putting their foot down, uh, for saying, no, we're not going to deal with this half on, half on, half off. The only thing that bugged me, he's still going to make $17 million sitting at home. Mm-hmm. I wish they could find a way, if he wants to go on this thing, like, you know, people say he's like Ali. First of all, don't ever compare anybody to Ali. Ali went three years without boxing. He was the highest paid athlete in the world. This guy going to make $17 million for sitting at home. But to every person out there, you don't get vaccinated just for yourself. That's NBA great Charles Barkley talking about Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving, who's refused to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Sir Charles nails it. Getting the vaccine is not about you. It's about everyone else. It's about being a team player. It's about doing the right thing. It's about being a role model. It's about being a leader. Like Colin Powell. General Colin Powell died this week from complications due to COVID. A giant of modern American history. Colin Powell embodied what is possible in America. His book and his life shaped so much of my military experience and that of an entire generation. Yeah, he was wrong on a rock and I was and will forever be disappointed and angry about that. But he was too. And he was candid about his regret about it. Great leaders are not perfect leaders. And Colin Powell was not perfect. But he was great. A decorated Vietnam veteran, Colin Powell was the son of immigrants, a son of New York City, and a son of the American dream. He will forever be a face of America to the world and to ourselves. And he could have been president, maybe even an independent president. But it's hard to fully comprehend the scope of his profound impact on modern American history and on a generation of troops and veterans especially. My friend Colonel Mark Jacobson is a dean at the Washington programs at the Maxwell School at Syracuse. He's a historian. He worked at NATO, and he was also a professor at Amherst College. And he had an excellent idea. He said that renaming an army base for Colin Powell might be in order. 
there are a number of military bases in America that were named for Confederate generals, Confederate generals, former traitors, many who supported slavery. And that is going to happen. It is going to change. The process is underway. So why not name one of those bases after General Colin Powell? I think it's an excellent idea. And since Colin Powell was an infantryman like me, Fort Benning, the home of the infantry, would probably be the most obvious choice. The infantry always says, follow me. And follow me by example. Colin Powell set an example. Colin Powell put country ahead of party always. And Colin Powell took the now unusual step of crossing party lines to endorse Joe Biden over Donald Trump for president. And years ago, he endorsed Barack Obama over John McCain while serving as a conscience, a teacher, an elder, and a watchdog for all Americans and our values. I'm also troubled by not what Senator McCain says, but what members of the party say. And it is permitted to be said such things as, well, you know that Mr. Obama is a Muslim. Well, the correct answer is he is not a Muslim. He's a Christian. He's always been a Christian. But the really right answer is, what if he is? Is there something wrong with being a Muslim in this country? The answer is no, that's not America. Is there something wrong with some 70-year-old Muslim American kid believing that he or she could be president? Yet I have heard senior members of my own party drop this suggestion. He's a Muslim and he might be associated with terrorists. This is not the way we should be doing it in America. I feel strongly about this particular point because of a picture I saw in a magazine. It was a photo essay about troops who are serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. And one picture at the tail end of this photo essay was of a mother in Arlington Cemetery. And she had her head on the headstone of her son's grave. And as the picture focused in, you could see the writing on the headstone. And it gave his awards, Purple Heart, Bronze Star, showed that he died in Iraq, gave his date of birth, date of death. He was 20 years old. And then at the very top of the headstone, it didn't have a Christian cross. It didn't have a star of David. It had a crescent and a star of the Islamic faith. And his name was Kareem Rashad Sultan Khan. And he was an American. He was born in New Jersey. He was 14 years old at the time of 9-11. And he waited until he can go serve his country, and he gave his life. Now, we have got to stop polarizing ourselves. We've got to stop polarizing ourselves in this way. That's what he said back in 2008. But it's even more true now. That was prophetic. That was Colin Powell. That was a warning to stay vigilant. In many ways, Colin Powell was a true independent American. The kind we talk about the need for in this pivotal time in our nation's history. A time when we all need to stay vigilant. Colin Powell knew that. And Colin Powell was ahead of his time in so many ways. And especially around preserving American values, fighting extremism, and battling for the soul of America. Colin Powell was a patriot, a team player, a man who led by example. And that's such a stark contrast to so many right now. So many who are selfish, so many who are not team players, so many who are assholes. From the members of the military who refuse to get the vaccine, to NBA superstar Kyrie Irving who won't get the vaccine, 
to Washington State University head football coach Nick Rolovich. He and four of assistants wouldn't take the vaccine, and they were fired for failing to comply with the state's vaccine mandate, since the coach is also an employee of the state of Washington. Every coach knows there's no I in team. And if you can't follow the rules yourself, you can't be entrusted with the safety of a team and an entire program. Young players and the pandemic and young people of all kinds need leaders who lead by example. They don't need selfish crusaders. And as Nick Rolovich was fired, other big decisions came down too. The Supreme Court declined to stop mandated COVID-19 vaccines for Maine health workers. Good. Maine and America are stronger for it. Get the shot. DOD civilian employees who aren't fully vaccinated against the coronavirus after November 22nd without an approved exemption will be fired, according to a new memo. Good. Bye. Get the shot. New York City will now require police officers and other municipal workers to get the COVID vaccine or be placed on unpaid leave. Good. Long overdue. Just like for the military, it's a force protection no-brainer. And like our troops, our police need to lead by example. Get the shot. Remember what the great Dolly Parton once said. I just want to say to all of you cowards out there, don't be such a chicken squat. Get out there and get your shot. Don't be such a chicken squat. Get out there and get your shot. Don't be a chicken squat. Don't be an asshole. Don't be selfish. Serve the greater good. Do it for others and set the example. And stay vigilant. It's up to all of us to stay vigilant. Because vigilance is the price of democracy. Colin Powell understood that. Colin Powell lived that, just like our guest in this episode. I've warned, and we've dissected, the need for America to confront the enemies within. The extremism, the partisanship, the ignorance, the hate that's ripping our country apart. It's jeopardizing our future, and it has our enemies celebrating. And our guest in this episode is fighting all of it, creatively through his work, through his voice, and maybe most of all, through his example. Now, his is a voice you may know from stage and screen. And if you don't, after this episode, it's a voice you'll never forget. Actor, activist, American success story, a powerful, creative voice, a voice for the voiceless, and a key piece of the best show on television. My friend, Arian Moyet. If you know that theme song, you know Arian. But maybe you don't know him as Arian. Maybe you know him as Stewie. Stewie. Stewie Hosani. A private equity investor and shark. And the best buddy of Kendall Roy, the eldest son of Logan Roy. Kendall is a turbulent guy who struggled with sobriety and life. And Stewie, Stewie's been around all of it. And Stewie and Succession are back. Episode one of season three premiered this past weekend on HBO. 
and it did not disappoint. So damn good. And still, some of the best written and best performed dialogue we've ever seen on television ever. I can't wait for next week and for the rest of this season. But Stewie, played by Arian, he's smart, he's crafty, he's blunt, he's mysterious, he's cunning, and he's damn fascinating to watch. That's Stewie. But the man who plays him is even more fascinating and someone everyone should be rooting for. When I say look for the helpers, that means leaders like Arian. He's a rising star, a rising voice, and a rising leader. And someone who's not out for self, like Kyrie Irving and most of the characters on Succession, but someone who's out for all of us. Someone who's leading by example. Someone who is the future. Arian is the Iranian-born, award-winning actor and co-founder and board chair of Waterwell a civic-minded and socially conscious nonprofit theater and education company. He's also a partner of Waterwell Films, a for-profit film and TV company. I've seen him in action, and Waterwell is awesome. Recent productions have included The Flores Exhibit, a series of videos in which artists, lawyers, advocates, and immigrants read the sworn testimonies of children held in detention facilities at the U.S.-Mexico border. They produced The Courtroom, a reenactment of one woman's deportation proceedings that was named Best Theater of 2019 by the New York Times. I saw that, and Arian and I are going to talk about it. It was the last show my wife and I saw before the pandemic. And they produced a dual-language Hamlet, with Arian playing the title role. Waterwell also created Fleet Week Follies, an annual festival of music, food, and kid-friendly activities that was free to military service members and their families in New York. They also power the Waterwell Education Program. Over 250 students per year get world-class arts training and education in advocacy at the Professional Performing Arts School, all free of charge. Arian's been a faculty member there for 15 years. Arian has also written and directed the Emmy-nominated short-form thriller The Accidental Wolf. He's a prolific writer, and he is one hell of an actor. He was in The Humans, which got a Drama Desk Award. He was in Guardians at the Taj, got an Obie Award. He was in Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo on Broadway, which earned him a Tony nomination, and he starred next to Robin Williams, and we'll get into that. He's also in an upcoming Shonda Rhimes series called Inventing Anna, which will be on Netflix. And he may or may not be in the newest Spider-Man movie, scheduled to be released in December of 2021. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to ask him. And of course, he is in my favorite show on television, I think one of the best shows of all time, the Emmy Award-winning mega-hit, Succession. Now, if you haven't watched it, Succession, at its core, is about a fight for the soul of a company, a mega media company that feels a lot like Rupert Murdoch's Fox News. And it's also about a civil war around that company, pitting family member against family member. It's about a fight for the future. And it's about whether or not the next generation will be better than the last. That's the core story of Succession. And right now, it's also 
the core story of America. And we're going to explore and dissect both those stories and how they intersect. This is another conversation that's going to keep it real, the kind to help you stay vigilant, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. Independent Americans is continuing to bring you important, inspiring, and iconic Americans, people who have shaped what America has been, what it is now, and most importantly, what it will be in the future. And we're bringing it to you with the Righteous Media Five Eyes. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. Welcome to a conversation about the core story of who we are. Welcome to a conversation about succession, the show, and in our country. Welcome to a conversation about the future. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 137. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country, around the world, and especially in the universe of creativity, of innovation, of philanthropy, and all things succession. I cannot miss <laughs> noting that. Uh, I am very happy to bring you a friend, uh, an innovator, a creative voice, an important voice for these times, somebody I've been eager to talk to and have on this show Finally joining us, the great and powerful Aryan Mumayed is here to join us on Independent Americans. Welcome, Aryan. Thank you, Paul. Holy shit. This is amazing. First of all, I got to say that is the nicest intro I've ever heard. So I appreciate that. It's it's deserved. Although I do think I kind of fucked up your last name. Mumayed. Yeah, you right? did it. There you go. I did it, right? Because we just started talking about your last name and how I think I got it. Um, yeah. And how often people must screw it up because my friend's yeah. name is Mohammed Al-Mumayed. And then that got in my head and said so, Al-Mumayez. And then I got to Mayed and then it got mixed up in my bash oh my brain. Um, if you think that's the worst that people have called me, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get into all of it. Um, yeah. we, I want to talk, obviously, about Succession. The sure. first episode was Blockbuster. I want to talk about Waterwell. I want to talk about um, your amazing story. Um, and uh, our friendship has evolved over these last couple of years. And so the first question I want to ask you, it's been a wild year and a half. I haven't seen mm -hmm. you in person in over um, probably two years. Mm -hmm. uh, where are you, Ariane, and how are you? I'm good, man. I'm in, I'm in Manhattan right now. I am doing well. Um, I have two daughters that are in school. But, um, you know, COVID has still not gone away. So there was a close contact. So one of the daughters is at home. So it's kind of like trying to figure out and maneuver this new world and trying to think just when you think it's like done, all of a sudden they just bring you back. So, uh, but I'm good. I'm overall, I'm really blessed and lucky to be alive and healthy and, and surrounded by family and talking to amazing people like yourself. Um, I wanted to ask you about this later, but I think it's maybe one of the most important issues in America that we don't talk about, which is the challenges of parenting right mm. now. Mm. Um, and so much of us, so many of us are stressed, beat up, 
you know, trying to stay focused. And it's been my most important mission and focus. People ask, Hey, how's your business? How's this? I'm like, I'm focused on my boys and my wife, obviously, but any insights or lessons learned for you as a dad during all this? Yeah, this last year and a half has been challenging for all of us. We've all had some ups and downs. Um, You know, so much of our last year was um, contingent on my amazing nephew, boy, um, this lovely boy by the name of Will, who passed away to cancer uh, on June 2nd of 2020. And so our um, experience of COVID is also linked with the the passing of this uh, amazing, you know, human being. And so it's tricky because, you know, I'm a really honest person. And so um, when I'm in doubt or when I have self-doubt or when I don't know the answers to things, which is often, um, I tell them, I tell my daughters that. I just mm. tell them that, you know, um, a, you know, I just say that I'm also scared. Like, I also don't know how this is going to go. And that um, is only more prevalent and more true during this crazy last year, because I think we don't know what's going to happen. We don't we still don't know what's going to happen. We have a lot of, you know, variables out there. And so I feel that um, placating them and just telling them it's all going to be okay will sometimes not be the answer. And so this last year, it's not that I'm like, life is hard, get it together, you know, but it is a little bit of like, I don't know the answer to that. And Mm. the pandemic has really kind of like um, spotlighted how important it is to be that kind of transparent. How much of that is shaped by your journey as a child? You were five years old when you came from Iran and landed in Chicago. And I just linked you up with um, my my friend, Rossi, who you didn't know, but I mentioned he was on the show. Amazing guest. People remember Mazda Rossi. But he similarly came to uh, to Chicago from Iran as a child. I don't know if it was within years of each other, but yeah. you went through you went through a lot as a child. And what do you take from that in the way you? It sounds like honesty is really important in the way you you talk to your children. But how did that tough experience shape the way you approach this tough experience with your kids now? I, it, it's it's you know it's so linked, Paul. It's so next to each other. It's so part of the DNA. You know. We came post-revolution and the people that came post-revolution, the vast majority of them were escaping because when the shit was hitting the fan pre-revolution, if you had the funds, you would have gone. You would have left. Um, We were not in that spot. Um, We came to this country. We're a family of six. My mother um, was married to my father at the age of 13, had three kids at 15, 16 and 18 and had me at 35, um, right when the war was happening with Iraq and right when the revolution happened, that's where the baby boom in Iran is at. 60% of the Iranian population is under the age of 41, I'm 41. And so, um, and then we came to this country with, you know, and my parents, my mom never even graduated middle school, I don't think. Um, so all of a sudden thrown into this world um, with very little English skills um, and very little like means. And also, you know, Iran, America at the time, as not that it's much better at any better at all, but was very, you know, was very um, chaotic in the eighties. And, um, and so also trying to not be Iranian was a part of like my DNA. 
Like, don't tell anyone or Americanize yourself more. You don't want, you know, because there was just pure fear. Um, and also a family unit of six and basically a middle-class Iranian culture um, with family and friends and language and grocery stores and just a regular life has now turned into a family of three because one brother is here and another brother is here and my sister's back in Iran. And so all of a sudden, you can imagine for my parents, six turns into three and then my dad was trying to make ends meet so it turned into two. So, you know, those obstacles are what I am today. Um, mm. Oftentimes, Paul, people ask me, and maybe they ask you this as well. Um, I'm, I would be surprised if they don't. How do you get so many projects done? Or how are you in so many circles? And you know what I mean? You get that a lot. And my response to that is none of that seems as hard as being an immigrant. Mm. <laughs> it isn't. It honestly right. isn't. I would right. not, I would not want to relive those days because they just were really chaotic and crazy mm. and messy and you know um anyway so i, I think mm. so to add the long answer to your very simple question was mm. that was that like all of it is defined by that i i i, I find myself in a exterior shell of an american with the interior shell of 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 of, of a persian iranian man for generations and mm. and that is um kind of what defines me mm. it 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 oozes out of your being and in everything you do from the work to being your friend you know and and i know that that experience um was so formative for my grandparents who came here and spoke no english my grandfather was i think 17 my grandmother was 14 you know, she was 14 years Crazy. old, didn't speak English, came here on a boat by herself, like mind blowing shit that I can't even relate to. So I know that your children um, are lucky to have that grounding in in your immigration story. And I can feel that, you know, coming out of everything you do. Um, the last time I saw you in person, we were trying to piece this back together, was I think the last time my wife and I went to like a real public event. We oh, went to yes. we went to the Waterwell production of the courtroom. Yes. It was, you know, a, a fantastic play that you did right before Thanks, everything shut down. I remember being in a seat and kind of like hearing sniffles and sneezes and being yeah. like, should we be here? Be here seeing you afterward. Space. And it's yeah, seeing yeah. you afterward at a bar and like, you know, for the reception, the cast party, do we like shake hands? What do we do? And then I think a couple weeks before that, you came to one of my last live yeah. re recordings of Susan Rice. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly um, right. That's is that crazy, right? isn't it? Yeah. Well, so that feels like 10 years ago, but it was only in like February or March of 2020. And crazy. so, and since then, you know, you're, you're on a launch pad, man. And, and I think it's been <laughs> exciting to watch because from the moment I met you, I've been rooting for you. And you're I think so you reached out to me because of Waterwell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so maybe I, can, can you can you explain for folks that maybe don't know, because I think it's such an important part of your story, one of the many projects you're doing. You also don't sleep. You know, I've read an interview where you say you sleep four or five hours a day. That's part <laughs> of how I get so much shit done, too. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. But but can you talk about Waterwell, what it is, why you yeah. started it, what you want it to do? Yeah. Tom Ridgely and I co-founded this uh, nonprofit art and education company called Waterwell that since 2002 has been doing civic minded socially conscious work in both the artistic field and in the education field. 
Currently, we're almost 20 years. That sounds insane to say out loud, but we're almost 20 years old. Um, and I am the board chair and we are run by the amazing, uh, the company is run by three amazing leaders, Lise Sunday Evans, uh, Adam Frank and Heather Lanza. And we have a two pronged essentially company that does civics, civic engagement, real civic engagement, and has been doing it for 20 years, um, alongside like hot, you know, art and education. And so, for example, on the education side, we have, um, we, we, we work alongside the Professional Performing Arts School. We're inside the curriculum. We um, have 250 students. We give them our artists as citizen training and world-class uh, world uh, you know, art training at the same time. On the artistic side, we do shows like The Courtroom. A courtroom um, is a reenactment of one woman's deportation case and a deportation case about voting. Again, all of these things are in the zeitgeist now, but when we were finding this piece of cobbling it together, we were just trying to find the truth. And so we took these transcripts, we did not write a single word, and we performed them in non-theatrical spaces and venues. So we mostly did them in courtrooms, but we also did them in event spaces and civic centers and whatnot. And, um, and the show had a life of its own because because so much of what Waterwell does on the production side of things is less interested in being in the theatrical community, though we're heavily involved in the theatrical community, is about going after the communities that we work alongside. So in front of the courtroom, we would go to um, basically any immigration right activist out there or any immigration judge out there. We would talk deeply with Jeff Chase and, and Richard Haynes, who is um, who's, uh, the lawyer in the case, and um, Ashley Tabador and who's a former immigration judge um, uh, president uh, of the union. And so we would just talk to them and see what they would do and what they needed from us. And so much of that is what Waterloo has been doing for 20 years. What's crazy, Paul, is that the first 10 years, kind of nobody gave a shit. <laughs> <laughs> they were just kind of like, oh, they really do amazing, powerful events and we love what they're doing. But like, it's not in the form of what, how we view theater or how we do arts education. And now all of a sudden, you, you, you know, the whole game has changed and we're in a lucky space to be there. But why we spoke is because um, in 2005, I think it was 2005, we were doing a lot of shows and we were trying to write grants. And we were also, you know, responding to the world um, at hand. And we were in the midst of a war, a war that um, was obviously, made, you know, started by dubious reasons. Um, and we all knew that, but we also are bridge builders from 2002. So we also know not to ostracize people and try to bring people together in the same room. And so one of the biggest things for us that we were reading every day in the news is all the amount of these amazing, heroic men and women that were over there that are dying and or, and or being um, with lots of post-traumatic stress and, 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 and coming back, you know, you know, with so many different, you know, um, tragedies that might have happened to their physical bodies even. And we thought they weren't being taken care of enough. And we didn't know what to do. I mean, we can't give them books and we can't give them, you know, health, you know, health, you know, uh, health care or like, but what we can do is entertain. And so one of our first grants that we got, true story, is to make all of our shows free for military folks and high school students. And that became the beginning, this 2005, 2006, 
the beginning of a conversation with so many military folks, because to us um, as Americans and proud Americans, um, we really want to make sure that we are taking care of our own. And um, and honestly, we can talk about that forever. And so that's kind of how you and I kind of started talking. Um, Jump to another Waterwell show that we did years, uh, maybe in 2017, right after Trump, uh, right before the inauguration. Um, we found an old World War II commissioned war play called the Blueprint Specials that a young Frank Lesser, who went on to write On the Town, was commissioned to write these musicals so that servicemen that were fighting in, 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 in World War II on their off time could put together a musical to give them a little bit of relief from the shock that they just went through. So the war department thought that art therapy was the best solution for these servicemen and women. These plays were, were lost for 70 years. Waterwell found them, performed them on the Intrepid in Midtown Manhattan and did it with a cast of Broadway stars and veterans. And we actually, for the first time, did the thing that the war department back in the day wanted to do. So uh, that's the kind of work that we did. I love it. It's it, you're doing big things. And I kind of, if I had to like way oversimplify it, it's almost like a USO for everyone, but with a real social impact focus. Right. Yeah. And, and, and almost a, a more important message in my view, because you're taking on the issues that are, that are, that are most relevant to the national conversation and you're opening it up to students and other types of people that maybe don't yeah, have access. To talk or have anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll, yeah, I'm just going to jump in real quick and just say oftentimes for blueprint specials, for example, or fleet week follies, someone asked in an interview is like, well, what are you trying to say? Like, you know, what are you trying to say? And it's like, this is what I'm trying to say. You saw it. Yeah. That we work together and make fucking awesome art. <laughs> or like now that I'm, now that I'm a teacher, okay. Now that I'm yeah. a professor, uh, I, I oh, am amazing. really, I'm really embracing the Socratic method. So what do you think we're trying to say? Yeah, what, nice. do, what do you hear, hear that we're trying to say? say right. Exactly. So every question exactly. is responded to with a question, but to that, to that point, or in like, I, I remember the courtroom, it was so relevant at the time, given the immigration debate, the voting rights debate, all of it. And it was powerful. It was important. It's the kind of stuff that people need to see and hear now more than ever. And on this parallel track, you know, your star is continuing to rise. Yeah, right. Crazy. And throughout the pandemic, you know, this intersection of what's happening in the world and your career is continuing to happen in a way that I, I, I'm kind of proud of this part of our show. where We've been pulling out folks who are at the intersection of entertainment and art and politics and activism. And we've had, you know, some folks that are rising stars that maybe you heard them on this show a year or two ago and now they're blowing up. Right. And I, I look like I look at your moment in a similar way. And mm. succession is everything right now, right? Yeah. Succession was what got a lot of people through the pandemic, but it also stopped right before the pandemic. Yeah. It kind of left us all hanging. Now you're back with this blast that I think is so good and important. I've talked a bit about the show. I think it's one of the best shows I've ever seen. And I think yeah, yeah. what really, you know, the power dynamics, the strategy, the internal struggles, the family dynamics, so many things that we talk about on this show uh, and the underlying political and social components of, of everything, but also mm. something I wanted to pull out mm. dialogue 
that is so good in, in its in its writing, but also in its performance. People used to talk about Quentin Tarantino movies all the time about dialogue. And mm-hmm. I watched um, I watched some Quentin Tarantino stuff this, this weekend and it kind of shaped going into succession. And I don't mean that if it's an unfair comparison. No, but, no, I know exactly but, what you mean. The, but I, the language is is is. It's so fucking good. The lines yeah, like that you all Shakespearean, but it's also like blunt and fucking like. It's just so it's good, and the humor, especially like the jabs and the and the nasty snarks and all the one-liners. Right? It's like it's such a great. Every trailer is so good because there's so many amazing lines of dialogue. But can I ask you, um, what do you think is most important about this show? Why is this show resonating with people? Uh, mm. Why are people so excited about this show? right now yeah i mean that's a fucking great question i mean i think the reason is is because one of the big dilemmas that we are going to have to face as human beings is that we are turning back the clock and turning back into the monopolistic society of the rockefellers at carnegie carnegie's and all those folks that's back and it's now on blast. And so we have a real serious class divide that is div- that is turning into also a media divide in a weird way. And so in a way, I think watching these one point, these 0.000% 1% folks behave in the way that they do is giving us a little bit of a peek of what society is actually happening on above us. Mm. Um, I often say we're basically all run. All of us are run by like 10 white male dudes. (laughs) The whole world is like 10 white men are like running the world. That's maybe simplistic, but maybe not. And now all of a sudden here we are watching these, this one of these families deal with that. I think that's one part of it. I think the other part of it is like, there's a devil on all of our shoulders. And sometimes we want to walk into a room and be like, fuck off, dude. just fuck off. And, the, and, and when we watch Succession, the devil is the one that's doing all the talk. And that's kind of juicy and kind of fun. Mm. And because sometimes you're like walking around, you're like, you know what? Fuck you. You know why? Because your idea fucking sucks, and you are rude, and you're mean to me, and you know, and and but we can't because we're growing up, and you know, in succession, you just let it ride. Yeah. There's an um, there's an honesty to that, right? I mean, like part of it is the rare air that they occupy. It's almost like it's such a unique level of power and access and privilege, right? It's like watching people in the space station. I mean, it's yeah. such a weird little laboratory, but it's also got the parallel of um, Logan Roy as Rupert Murdoch, right? And this conservative right. media empire as a guy who's trying to build something to counter these traditional media empires, starting a very small independent media company. I'm fascinated by the intersections between media and power that this show explores. Explores, But then there's also the fun of just watching people who have so much power, they can do whatever the fuck they want, right? And a family that can do whatever they want to each other. You play Stewie, who is kind of like, the the ultimate below the radar character like yeah. you're, you're that secret sauce that kind of is looming and and i think sometimes people forget about your character and then mm-hmm. stewie comes storming back in right with some really great dialogue and and like it's almost like a like the perfect accent 
It's just it's it's just enough to like blast, make that meal perfect, and then it's gone. Yeah. And 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 I want to ask you um, something specific: Is Stewie the secret? Uh, the, the secret <laughs> name that will be ultimately the last person standing who will take over Waystar is Stewie well, going to be CEO in the end of this? Well, he should be. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I mean in a way. No, I don't think I have no idea. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm probably sure. Well, the only person that knows is Jesse. Um, to me, I really take what you said really to heart because I think it's true. You just need a teaspoon of him to come in, give you a little medicine and come in. And the other thing about Stewie is, is, in my opinion, he is the most honest character on the show. He'll tell you as is. You know, he says, can you trust me? No. No, about money stuff. No, definitely not. No, no way. <laughs> like, worse. <laughs> but, because, and also, he's after the bottom dollar. He's really after just that final coin. And so in a way, I think him coming in and kind of like telling everyone that they're morons and idiots and then leaving again is kind of like, in a way, he represents slightly the audience in that respect. Mm, because, yeah. because in a way, he also doesn't give a shit about the family dynamics. What does he give a fuck about your family shit? It's like you keep talking about your family. It's like. You know, in the last episode of season two, you know, they fly out, with, you know, to Croatia or wherever. I'm in, I'm in Greece, I guess. I mean, we were actually shooting in Croatia, but in Greece. And they, and they come and I'm eating octopi and they come in. And then at one point he goes, OK, here's the deal. Logan goes, here's the deal. Three board seats, including Kendall's. And if you look, the writer and again, this was and maybe it was written, but I immediately because Kendall's my old buddy. That's the other thing about Stewie that's really unique. No one knows Kendall as well as him just because they did college shit together and then mm -hmm. high school shit together at Buckley. And so he looks at him when he says that. And then he's like, you gave up your fucking board seat? With just one look, I'm like, you gave up your fucking board seat? Are you an idiot? Why are you dealing with this? And then the answer is obviously no. And, and, and so in a way, Stewie's kind of like fun that way. And Stewie's also like, He's that devil on all of our shoulders. It's like, can, you know what? Let's just go party for a second. Can I, can I ask you though, is Stewie, yeah. Stewie is also, I feel intentionally ambiguous mm -hmm. in everything. Like what is his background? What is his deal? What is he thinking? What's he going to do? I had to look up that Stewie's character's name is Stewie Hussein. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. even, even Stewie is kind of maybe intentionally ethnically ambiguous. And and I wonder if if Stewie is also kind of a blank slate that's all of us and none of us at the same time. It's this amorphous character, almost like, you know, when Benetton tries to pick a, a character that's like perfectly the mix of all races all in one races person. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Is is Stewie. Uh, can you talk about playing a character like that and how you approach it? And then I also want to talk about characters you've approached in the past and how you're redefining so many so much of this space sure. and, and these types Bless of you. roles. But but. How, who, I, I, how do you I look at Stewie? How do you define Stewie? Right? Like, I didn't know his last name was Hussein. Did, do you think most people yeah. know that? I think Iranians know that. <laughs> I think yeah. actually, no, I think a lot. I think it's 50 50. I think 50 50. His last name is Stewie Husseini. Um, in I talked to Jesse about this. I advocated that we we um, make him an Iranian last name. There are so many Iranians that have so much money. Um, and they are hedge, you know, besides hedge money, they run eBay and they run Uber and all that. So, so, um, 
that was one part of it. We, Jesse and I had a conversation on set one day about like, what are the options of how he is running? When did he get here? And there's basically like four or five different times. He called, his family came in the fifties, they came in the seventies, they came in the eighties or whatever. And um, we discussed that a little bit. And then, and then he kind of asked me, he's like, which version do you like of this? And I kind of pitched him what I said. And um, after that, we said that I said, but I don't want to talk about any of this. I don't, I think people need to realize, and when they eventually do, that he's Iranian, that they'll be like, holy shit, he's Iranian. Instead of putting this hat on of like, I already have all of these preconceived notions of what it means to be Iranian off of 30 or 40 years of bullshit, you know, media representation. Do you know what I mean? That's been yeah. going on. Like, yeah. I, 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 that's a battle that we don't need to do right now. So in a way, I always say that people, Iranians are always like, well, how did he get the name Stewie? And I was like, well, how did Muhammad become Mike? His name was Sadan. And then they, they changed it to, he's in, in middle school, he's like, I'm Stewie now. You know what I mean? He saw Family Guy and he's like, I'm Stewie, I'm Stewie, I'm Stewie. Um, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, That's it. So, um, so, can, so, and you're also, uh, Ariane, I think it's important. This is part of another reason why I think you are so important. You have had an influence dramatically, it sounds like, on how this character has been drawn, you know, communicated, um, uh, how he evolves. And and it sounds like from my, you know, our friendship and my understanding of your work, you've been having those struggles throughout your whole career. Mm-hmm. And is this a time where you feel like you're winning those arguments where, where earlier in your career you were typecast or you had to, you know, you had less power and now you're on the other side of this and you can determine how one of the most pivotal characters on the biggest show in the world is, is understood. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could say that it was, that it's, that it's completely changed now. Um, but that's not the truth. Uh, I think back in the day, um, when people wanted me to do terrorist roles or like, he's a terrorist, but with a heart of gold, I've heard that a lot. Like he's a terrorist, but he's a good guy. Um, essentially when all that happens is um, I have to say, I have to get into those rooms and kind of like look at them and be like, listen, there's 1.7 billion Muslims. Like you are talking about 0.0001% of them. You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden you're blasting us as if we are the 1.7 billion. And, I cannot say, that's why I didn't fucking work, Paul. <laughs> it's just, I didn't fucking work, you know? It's just because yeah. there was nothing out there for me. And 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 my skill set was different as well. You know what I mean? Like, I always thought I would do comedies. You know, I always thought I was even doing sitcoms. You know what I mean? Just because I that's what I was grew up with, really. And so, um, and I didn't get those either. And so, in a way, those battles um, were really kind of hard. And also, I just want, you know, maybe people that have been marginalized or have been otherized can understand this, but for others that don't, you know, it's hard to sometimes advocate for yourself and your people inside of a room with 15 fucking executives. It's not easy. It's not like an easy task because we're also dealing with like, ah, he seems difficult. He seems like it's going to be a lot of difficult stuff. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I'm not even trying to, you know, and we're all, you know, maybe it's also my culture, but I'm also trying not to like stir the fucking pot every single time, but I'm also trying to like stand up for what's right. And so in the early days, um, you get a lot of like, whatever pass you pass, are you passing? 
fine, pass, then go away. We'll get someone else to do it. Um, nowadays, it's like they want to talk about it, which is nice. Um, Jesse's a rare beast. Jesse wants to like, you know, he, he's so empathetic. Um, but like on other shows, like they want to talk about it, but they, they, they also have to do the work. Like I go back to the military community, you know, the military community has, and I've heard this a lot from military, from veterans that there's a trust divide that they have with civilians sometimes because you come into a, you helicopter in, do a thing and then you leave as if like, you've just like checked the box. And I completely fucking understand that. As a Middle Eastern man that's in many plays, I've seen companies come in, do a Middle Eastern play and be like, okay, all those relationships, goodbye. What's tricky about that is, and what, what, how we can fix that is, and how people in our industry can fix that is, meet with us. There was a project that, that they, not even a long ago, like a year and a half ago that they wanted me to do. And I kind of passed. I thought it was kind of like not the right project. And, and, and I thought it wasn't very Iranian to be. And then and instead of talking to me and being like, yo, what's it like being Iranian and American? Like, tell me some stuff. Or let's go to a community and talk to those guys for a day. Let's like meet some relationships. What happens is they're like, fine, I'll rewrite it. And then all of a sudden they rewrite it. And then all of a sudden, like it goes from, you know, he's a shithead to like a saint. And it's like, I'm not a fucking saint either, man. Mm -hmm. and, the, and then they go like, well, what do you want? It's like, talk to me. Mm. Yeah. Or yeah. even a step further is you write it. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, oh, and rather than having, people. having someone write about you empower, yeah, exactly. you know, you, 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 and you're doing this. This is why I think Waterwell and so many things you're doing is so important is rather than having someone write on your behalf, Right. Which is even more patronizing in some ways. Right. And maybe yeah. even more, maybe even more insulting. You're writing shit. You're doing shit. Your projects are coming. And, and, and I think a lot more of them, I hope, are going to be greenlit because they have so much power uh, and, and because they're also damn good. Right. Like you're a fantastically talented actor. And I want to maybe I, I could talk about succession yeah. all day long, but I guess yeah, that's yeah. I guess that's Kara Swisher's job now. But I guess the, uh, <laughs> all of these pieces, all of these pieces. Um, Take me back too, because when I think maybe the first time I learned about you was the Tony nomination, right? And you were nominated for um, Bengal Tiger at the at the Baghdad Zoo with Robin Williams, mm -hmm. and so that was at least from my view like such an important moment in your career. Yeah. Um, you know, you probably should have won the Tony. Um, John Benjamin but, Hickey, if you're watching this, fuck you, man. Yeah. Yeah, we can do a poll online. Um, but can, can you can you reflect on that, too? Because especially for for we talk about national security, we talk about foreign policy. We've talked a lot about the Middle East and what's unfolding. Mm -hmm. When you look back on that, that play and that role and Robin Williams, right? Like Robin Williams was a guy that was so interconnected yeah, it's a, it's as a USO performer with mental health issues. I look back on that as so important. And there were so many works that were adjacent to Iraq and Afghanistan that were before their time. And, and I put that in that category. Yeah. I, you know, I did I did a play 100%. called the, the Sandstorm. Um, we did, you know, other performances, plays, documentaries. I felt like all of them were like 10 to 15 years ahead of the time. And maybe they're even, I almost wish we could bring them back now and say, okay, now, now let's look at it again, right? But what's yeah. your view on that now with time and space, Arian? Well, I mean, all these unbelievable, you know, translators that in Afghanistan and Iraq that have many of that I've gotten over over and gone to safety, but many that haven't. The play Bengal Tiger of the Baghdad Zoo, one of the main characters, Musa, 
was an Iraqi translator that was shat on by Saddam's people and shat on by uh, military folks. And now all of a sudden he's like, survived. You know, and that was written in 2009 and performed on Broadway in 2011. And that's the play that is about today. That's Rajiv Joseph's master work. Um, and that play also gave us enough, you know, Robin decided to, he, he wanted to do a Broadway play. And he's like, he wanted to do a play. And the reason why he picked Bengal Tiger, as he would tell us all the time, is because he wanted to give something back to the U.S. soldiers and Marines and, 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 and all the guys that are out there. And so to me, and I'll, and I'll give you one more story about this and how powerful this play was. One night, there was a bunch of Iraqi translators that were in the audience. And so, you know, you're making sure that the Iraqi Arabic is like on point and you're looking mm -hmm. at the things and then you're on Broadway. And so, and then afterwards you come out and you meet them all and there's tears in their eyes and there's tears in my eyes and we're hugging and holding each other and trying to like feel love and all that. And then all of a sudden one of them says, thank you for telling our story, which is really powerful. It was also the same time as Fleet Week. So the next night we're outside doing signatures and these two handsome white suited men out there program in hand and they say thank you for telling our story and so those are the types of pieces of art that i want to be involved with mm -hmm. and and robin knew that robin robin was a saint you know i i always tell this story but sometimes you know to after the show would happen you'd like meet your family and friends they could come back it's at the richard rogers and and, and hamilton does this now too but you get your name on a list and then you come you know, on the stage and you can meet everyone there before you go and sign any autographs. And, and I can't tell you how many times, maybe five or six times where there would be somebody that looked completely lost and did not feel like, you know, a Middle Eastern friend or didn't feel like a theater friend. You're like, who is this person? Right. You know, one guy was this amazing black dude with like a, you know, like a mohawk and, you know, you know, tons of earrings. I was like, who is this? And you're like, Hey, are you looking for someone? He's like, I'm here for Robin. Mm. I was like, Oh, he goes, he's my sponsor. Wow. And I'd be like, that's the type of individual that I want to be in life mm. as a human Robin. I'm talking about like, mm. that's the type of person he was. And, um, and yeah, his work with the USO was tremendous. And, and I am such a small, really small, small little, but I'm trying to, take that mantle. And even though he didn't ask me, nor did anyone else, but I'm trying to like slowly try to like bring that into our lives because um, it's important to me that as Americans, that we support the people that, you know, are trying to change the world on a on the ground. Um, many of which are poor and are looking for trying to get the college. And, you know, I, 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 and again, remember, I didn't, maybe I didn't say this in this interview, but my brother, Omid, who's a doctor down in DC right now, fought in the Iran-Iraq war for two years. Mm -hmm. So I have a veteran in my family, you mm -hmm. know, uh, different war, different world, different yeah. time, different means, but that, so what? <sighs> you, know you, what are, you are powerfully carrying that forward and so much of it forward. And I think this is such an important time for your voice and leadership, and I'm really grateful for it. And, you know, relevant to all of this, you and I have been talking you know, offline personally about well, what's going on with the Afghanistan situation, the debacle and the Afghan translators, just, you know, your voice is so important now in part because you channel the voices of so many who 
can't be on HBO or, you know, talking on, on network television. What, what, what's your take on Afghanistan and, and what do you want folks to think about and, and, and consider in this moment? I mean, it's so simplistic what I'm about to say, but they're just people trying to put food on the table and a roof over the house of, I mean, it's, and, and, and society for probably 70 years, maybe not that long, 60 years has been meddling in that, in that world because they are at this crossroads, the land where Cain and Abel is are supposedly buried is exactly what's happening right now um people come in they fuck it up and then they leave that goes from russia to the taliban to whatever this new isis whatever these guys are to america to all of our western powers and really they are a people that are kind and considerate and loving and want to just live normally you know um i would be following so many people that would have like restaurants in kabul you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and watch Mm -hmm. them just open up their stores or do a commercial and and for me those are the stories and the people that i care about i think about those translators a shit ton because Ugh. because they really hated the fucking Taliban prior to all this. They don't fucking want them there. They have nothing to do with these fucking folks. And, and, and also, they're not even Afghan. 90% of them aren't even fucking Afghan. People don't even know that. And, and so um, I think about them saying, finally, when you know the war started, at the, the hope of it, of like, get rid of these fucking criminals. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will come and help translate. And yes, I will do that. And then all of a sudden now, years later, to be like, oh, fuck, they're back. And, and now all of a sudden the Taliban has a little, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a scary comparison, what I'm about to make, and maybe I shouldn't even make it. But, um, but Kendall, you know, at the end of the Volter episode, does something that really fucking scared me, which is, which is in season two, episode two or whatever. He's like, you know, before he like gets rid of it, he's like, send me all your best ideas and let's try to get, you know, Volter, you know, um, this company back up and run it. So he, they, he gets all the ideas and then he goes, here's all the ideas and here are all the people. And then you can fire all these people and cut them off. Kills and so, yep. and kills them. Yeah. And it's not the same, but um, the Taliban right now, has like is like oh you help the america i have your fucking number i know where you live trust me and what are they doing right now they're like walking up and down their streets waiting for a misstep you know that that is that is such a powerful relevant breakdown because a couple of episodes ago we asked uh bradley whitford to compare you know, Handmaid's Tale and Gilead to the mm-hmm. Taliban in Afghanistan. But this one is is almost in a, in a really powerful way, even more simple, right? A person like, like Kendall with tremendous power, destroying opposition, destroying ideas, like m- manipulating and, and mismanaging power, which is what we know is happening 
in Afghanistan with the Taliban. And just like Kendall and anyone else, you can't trust a fucking Taliban, right? No, but people not. in Washington want, want, want to rush to that. And I'm so glad, extreme, Ariane, that you're- ex- Yeah, extreme power. I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Uh, but extreme power is, is, is not right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just not a yeah. not right thing. There's like, also, you're, you're, you're such, I, I continue to want to bring on the show people who are iconic, important, inspiring Americans. And, and you are that in part because of your example, because of who you are. And you didn't come from Afghanistan. You came from a different country. But there are five-year-old kids like you landing in, 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 in cities all around this country. Yeah. And either they will be welcomed or they will be, le- many of them, frankly, will be left to die or left to suffer or left to try to start a rebellion. And then the ones that get here are still not getting enough support. From our government, from our many people are stepping up, but I think people still all the stereotypes you've been breaking and fighting for so long are still so relevant and being manipulated by by evil forces right now against these kids, right? That you need to be afraid of these kids, that they shouldn't be here, that they're not welcome, that they're dangerous. When in fact they might win a Tony one day, right? They might be nominated for a Tony one day. They might win an Oscar one day. They might build a great business one day. They are the greatest. Uh, a proof of concept for what America is supposed to be. So I'm so glad. I so agree this- with you on that. And that's why in a way, America to us that have our, that had the opportunity to even talk to you, you know, the miracle that I'm even talking to you um, are so grateful for this country and so proud to be an American. And so I, we want it to always be a better country, you know, a person like let's take a Syrian refugee for right now, a Syrian refugee with a family, a, a father and a mother and two kids will then run away from Syria, walk hundreds of miles to get to the Mediterranean Ocean, illegally get on a boat to that would in the middle of the night with the chances of the boat popping with sharks eating. I don't even know what the craziness that entails in that. Getting onto land in, let's say, Greece, getting to a refugee camp, going through the Refugee Corps program, getting to the United States. Those are the people we want. Yep. Those yep. people can fucking do anything. They can yep. do your fucking anything. They can do your, you know, they can clean. They can also fucking run a fucking business. We should give them all the resources immediately because they will make the world work. You know what I mean? We're, they're going to be hungry and smart. You know, um, and and I think what's happened is is that the conversation from evil powers and evil and and and, and again extreme powers, um, the, those conversations have turned into freeloaders trying to you know trying to g- grab our stuff, trying to you know it's like what are you t- so, like it's the complete opposite. It is. It's. I, I think I'm so glad to have your voice. In this time, you know, the, the, the rollout of the new season of Succession where you're going to get a platform to talk about all these things, which I think is so important. You're one of those guys I'm so grateful is in the activism space. I hope you run for office one day. No, you're crazy. Um, and when we look at you, you know, you're that proof of concept for the American dream. And you might even be a five-year-old kid who comes here who might end up, I don't know, maybe in a Spider-Man movie. So like, I, I, you know, this is my little Easter egg. I wore a shirt today that my my mother got me. For folks watching on video, I have this awesome, (laughs) my mother got this for me for Christmas because I'm such a huge comic book fan and a Spider-Man. It's just a really cool Spider-Man shirt, but I wore it 
because I have to ask you, and this is, you know, going to be a tough. Uh, so what's up, man? Are you are you going to be, you know, the great American success story that ends up in a Spider-Man movie? <laughs> well, that's hilarious. And the and and because the trailer is out, I can at least say yes. <laughs> Uh, I am super honored. I mean, honestly, super thrilled and honored to be in the the, the universe. Um, um, yeah, I think on December seventeenth, if you happen to see this little indie called Spider Man No Way Home, um, <laughs> you could potentially see, you know, um, Ari and Moyet up there on the big screen, maybe even like bigger than I would like uh, because. There might be some close-ups, but uh, but yeah, I, I gotta say it's uh, it's a universe and a world that um, I can't believe I'm fucking in, but I cannot wait to uh, you know unveil what is to come. Spider-Man, this movie is going to blow your mind. I I can't <laughs> wait, and we've talked we've been talking in shows about this the super friends network of the maybe righteous media, independent Americans, uh, superhero movie. I want to do one day with Ooh, everybody that's yeah, been on the show from like West Chatham to, uh, Ron Perlman to, we had Milo on, we've had Jeffrey Wright, the new Batman's coming up. Right. Oh and yeah. Everything else. That looks good. And adding you to this man, the Let's bench it, just man. keeps getting deeper. The team keeps getting stronger. So I don't know, you know, anybody out there wants to do a kick-ass movie with everyone who's been on this show, you know, and we can mix in a little Sarah Jessica Parker and Susan Rice and lots of really cool cameos, right? Oh, Over a yeah. hundred oh, episodes yeah. of this show. Oh yeah. Let's get this going right now. I think you if have to write it. You have, you have to write it. You have to direct it. You have to write it. You have to direct it. That, that, that has to happen, That's man. All, so. I love that. And I would fucking love to see that movie, actually. All right. Well, we'll put that we'll put that in the parking lot. We'll, we'll come back to it. Um, I hope you can stick around afterward and our Patreon members will get a little extra content with you. I want to go deeper on oh, your yeah, favorite drink, yeah. your first car. Yes, but yes, um, yes. as we wrap up, um, I'm proud of you and I'm grateful for your leadership and your patriotism. You are redefining patriotism in this country. Let me just ask you one last question, Orion. Um, if if you're if 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 a five year old kid who just got here is listening to this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or anybody going through hard times right now, I've, I'm going through hard times. Everybody's going through hard times mm. in their own way right now. You're kicking ass, and I, I can't imagine how difficult it was to get to this point. But what's your message for that man or woman, boy or girl who's listening right now? That we're here for you. That's a line from Succession. We here for you. We here for you. But this was not supposed to be funny. Um, but we, 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 we are actually here for you. Um, we care about you. And you can do it. You know, I think a big thing is, you know, growing up, I didn't have any, like, Iranian in media to look up to. There was nobody to be like, oh, I want to be like that person. Um, and, so, and so part of the struggle is, fighting the idea that it would never happen because there's no one like me. Mm. And so I want people to know that you can fucking do this. And if, and if that five-year-old Afghan boy or Iranian boy that comes here with very little means, very little, you know, prospects that, you know, as hard as this country is going through a reckoning right now is, um, I think that this is a place that you can make this shit happen. You know, you have the resources and the people. And, 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 and if you are out there, and I say this to everyone, 
find me. I will talk to you. <laughs> I will have a community of people. You, you, know? you are very, you are very generous, sincere in that. And, and, uh, you know, maybe you could run for mayor of New York city. So I'm going to push You're an insane you know, man, right? Now. Well, you know what, you've done some insane shit and you could do it, man. You know, uh, so, I, you know, I hope that Arian for mayor is something I support. Stewie for CEO is something that I support. I think it's a sleeper I pick. I support that, too. It's a sleeper pick. If you've got a fantasy, you know, if there's a succession fantasy football pool, I, my money is like, and if it's not, it should be. Like, I think that's a great storyline like, that nobody's I talking like about. Because everybody's like looking like at the pieces. On, here's the thing. Everybody's looking at the pieces on the board. People aren't looking at the pieces off the board. And Stewie's a piece that's off the board and Stewie's out there and I'm watching and you can't tell me shit. I know that you had to sign a hundred thousand NDAs for this and Spider-Man and everything else. But uh, I, I'm rooting for it, man. And, and I am rooting well, I, for I, you I, always. I, well, I just want to say that um, one thing I will say is about Stewie is that without giving, I'm not giving anything away um, is that it always feels like Logan wanted Stewie as the son. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. Jesse, if you're listening to this, I'm pitching that I once, you know, we're so right or at least a spinoff, right? Like this, Spin this, this off, universe, maybe. the Succession yeah, yeah. universe, could be bigger than the Marvel universe. So I'm all about all the spinoffs that are to come for the next twenty years. I mean, this is this, this this show is huge and important and just awesome. And I'm grateful for your role in it and just and your voice for joining me on the show for your leadership for your friendship. Thank you, uh, Thank I'm you, so excited for everything happening in your life, and I hope that this brings you to more people uh, that are going to join your fan club and are going to be behind you because you're the you, best you have been so of. generous it's like so humbling but i want to just say so it's said clear and out there like you're the example that we're trying to go after paul like you are the type of person that we all should be going after so i appreciate all this praise but man i look up to you in a way that you probably don't even recognize well there are people coming after me, but not in that way. <laughs> it's, it feels like the succession way sometimes, but, but, but we're all in one team, man. And I'm glad to have you on my team and, and, and to be on this team, uh, team America, the new manifestation of what team America is supposed to be. Um, you know, you're the quarterback, man, and I'll take the handoff from you anytime. Thank you, my friend, for all thank you, you do. Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And stay vigilant. Thanks, man. You too. You too. Yeah, you can fucking do it. You can fucking do it. That's the message from Arian. And what a sincere, talented, amazing guy. If you didn't know, now you know. He's the real deal. And he's doing so many important things and none more important than helping others and giving back. He's a true leader. He's leading by example. And he's a true helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. My deepest thanks to my friend Arian for joining me. Please follow him on social media. Check out his amazing organization at waterwell.org. And definitely watch Succession on HBO every Sunday. If you've never watched it, go back and get season one and two and catch up. And if you don't have HBO, this is a good reason to go get it. But my thanks to Arian for all that he is and all that he does. And as you could hear 
family is so central to Arian. And of course it is to me too. So I want to thank my amazing wife and my two boys. My wife loves Succession as much as I do. The boys don't watch it yet. But my boys did find a new favorite show along with me, Hyperdrive on Netflix. It's like the ultimate driving game show and a video game come to life. It's about cars that compete on kind of an American Ninja Warrior for cars. And it's produced by Charlize Theron. It's dazzling and inspiring and amazing. So check that out. But my thanks to my boys for discovering and enjoying that with me. And speaking of discovering and enjoying, on Friday, on our way home from school, I picked the boys up and it was a beautiful day. And as we came over the hill, we saw something very interesting. A turtle. A turtle was in the middle of a two-lane highway outside of our school. We pulled our car over. We got the turtle. We took him home, tried to nurse him back to health. And now we have a new pet, everyone. Everyone, if you go on social media, you can see the newest member of the Rykoff family, Wheels the Turtle. He was on a highway. My kids love vehicles. They like the movie Turbo. And this turtle... Now, as slow as he might be, must have been pretty quick to get that far, so they called him Wheels. But my thanks to Wheels and to my boys for reminding me about the importance of slowing down to help someone, even if it's a turtle. I want to thank some more of our best team players, especially our fearless Patreon members, the vigilant, the very vigilant, the most vigilant. You continue to help power this show, and I want to welcome some new Patreon members. Adam Clark, welcome to Adam. Ken Ashby, welcome to the crew. And Sarah Steele, which should be a superhero name. Sarah, welcome to the Patreon community. Thanks to all of you. Thank you for supporting this show and supporting this good content. If you are a Patreon member like Adam and Ken and Sarah, right after this show drops, you will get extra content with Arian. Really good content. If you're a Patreon member, I gave you a sneak preview yesterday and told you who the guest would be, so you knew Arian was coming. And right now, you will get super extra content with Arian for Patreon members only. He tells you his favorite car. He tells you his favorite drink, which is really interesting and well told. And he tells you a Bill Murray story. Yes, Arian has a Bill Murray story that also kind of involves pancakes, so be a Patreon member. If you're not already, please join us and get that extra content with Arian and help support this movement. And if you're not a part of the movement, you can join our growing insurgent vigilant army of independence to get exclusive access and events. You can do that at patreon.com. Look for independent Americans for just five bucks a month. You can get access to events, guests, merch discounts, and exclusive content. My thanks to all of you. And there is no I in team, but there is a C, a B, and a P. So I want to thank the Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. They all make this show possible. Be sure to check out our other Righteous podcasts. Everybody and their mother has a podcast that comes out every Wednesday. And the Firefighters with Rob Sarah with new shows every single Friday. Just like this show, they're 100% free. You can spread the word and join the Righteous Media family. Anywhere you get pods, you can always go to Righteous.us. Now, speaking of Righteous Productions, I told you Succession is back. And so is another show that hits pretty damn hard. While the rest of us die. We're back. 
The latest project from me and Righteous Media is here, and I'm proud to rejoin Anthony LaPay, the Ephraim Films team, and super narrator Jeffrey Wright, our friend of the show, and a dynamic lineup of contributors that includes Jared Yates Sexton, Jane Mayer from the New York Times, Corey Doctorow, Lawrence Lessing, and more. I am a consulting producer and a contributor for the second season of While the Rest of Us Die, and it's going to be on Vice TV. It premieres Thursday, October 21st on Vice TV, which you can find on your cable network, and it'll also post on Vice TV's website probably a day or two afterward. If you saw season one, you know what you're in for. And if you didn't, you can go to the Vice TV website and get ready for season two. Here's a taste. When we say while the rest of us die, the last year has been a great example of how the rest of us have literally died. They spend. The wealthy would rather spend money on their lawyers than pay higher taxes. They gain. The members of Congress received tens of millions of dollars in PPP loans. These members of Congress were often already among the richest members of Congress. They rise. Jeff Bezos made $80 billion, retired and went into space while the rest of us have to stay here and work every day like a slave. While the rest of us? For 38 terrifying minutes, people thought this was the end of their lives. Die. Those people truly had no warning. This is unsustainable. The average American now dies in debt. While the rest of us die. Narrated by Jeffrey Wright. New season premieres Thursday, October 21st at 10 on Vice. Yes, we're back. So tune in for episode one of season two of While the Rest of Us Die this Thursday, October 21st, 10 p.m. on Vice. The world just keeps getting crazier. Wait till you see what we dig into this season. And as I mentioned, our friend Jeffrey Wright is the narrator. He's the secret sauce that makes this entire series magical and powerful. He was also a guest on this show back in episode 55, April of last year. And interestingly... Jeffrey actually played Colin Powell once in a movie. In W, the 2008 Oliver Stone movie starring Josh Brolin as W, and Jeffrey tweeted about it this week. He said, I played Colin Powell. Never met him. Immigrant son, family man, scholar, leader, statesman, a good soldier, maybe to a fault. And like many of them, ultimately, I think, betrayed. Maybe he flew too close to the sun. Whatever has made his legacy, he worked at Redemption. R.I.P. That's from Jeffrey Wright, one of the greatest actors of our time. And I was very, very privileged to have him join us on this show back in episode 55. If you haven't done that, go check it out. It's in our archives. You can find all our previous shows, including that one with Jeffrey Wright, at independentamericans.us. You can also see video of my conversation this week with Arian and see video of my conversation with Jeffrey Wright. And recent episodes with Milo Ventimiglia, Admiral Mike Mullen, Bradley Whitford, and many others. You can also get some sharp independent Americans gear. And if you love this show, please support us. Tell your friends to check it out. And subscribe if you haven't already. Go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. And subscribe for free and share. You can also find us on social media. And every Wednesday night, you can play Guess the Guest. Guess the guest on who's coming up in the new episode, and I will shout you out on this show, and maybe you'll get a prize. This week, our friend Dave Petrie got it. On my Instagram page, he correctly guessed Arian Moyed, 
And Dave is a Navy vet, the dad of two daughters and founder of his own company called Sinosora, which is a really cool name. But it's a consulting marketing firm that works on branding strategies and an emphasis on sustainability and transparency. Sounds like good stuff. And Dave got it right. So my shout out goes to you, Dave. And one other person guessed it correctly. Guess who it is? It's like the guess the guess reigning champion. Delfino Sanchez. Yep. He got it again. I don't know how he figures this out. I kind of think he's hacked into Chris's email when he's designing the graphics. But Delfino tweeted, could it be the great and powerful Arian Moyet? And he asked me, could you believe the Astros ninth inning last night? No, Delfino. I could not believe it. The Astros have been amazing and you have been amazing. I will always root for you and I will root for the Astros because I will root for anyone who is beating the Red Sox. But that's our buddy, Delfino Sanchez. I want to give his company a shout out. Aldine Tree Services and Stump Grinding down in Houston, Texas. Hurricane season is coming. If you need tree services and stump grinding, check out Aldine Tree Services. It's a family-owned business run by our friend, the reigning guest the guest champion, Delfino Sanchez. And one more thing, Delfino went above and beyond. This guy on social media is a machine. And I put out a challenge asking you to nominate your starting five if we did an independent American Super Friends movie. And this guy went all the way out. His starting five, Rosie Perez, Soledad O'Brien, Zainab Salvi, Kristen Rowe, Finkmeyer, and Joy Taylor. And then he went on to create a bench which he said has 13 roster spots throughout 13 guests from Sarah Jessica Parker to Rex Chapman to Stephen Colbert. Then he named a head coach and an assistant coach and a GM. He threw in a strength coach. He threw in a spirits advisor, who was going to be Tom Colicchio, talent scouts, David Aldridge and Chuck D, a medical records compliance officer, a fire safety chief, Rob Sarah, of course, a design team led by Mazdak Rossi and Peter Berg, logistics advisors, Pete Buttigieg and David Bellavia. Intergalactic recruitment would be headed by Wes Chapman. He had a music team with Mike Shinoda and Mark Roberge, a nutrition and fitness team led by General Barry McCaffrey and General Mark Hurtling, and a continuing education leadership team with Anya Kemenitz, Colonel Miles Craggins, and Charlotte Clymer and others. But look, You don't have to go all out like Delfino Sanchez did. You can play every Wednesday on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Check us out, follow us, and spread the word. But keep the conversation going on social media, in your communities, and in your home. We're going to continue to bring light to contrast to heat. I hope this episode did that for you because America's more divided than ever. But we at Independent Americans are fighting to change that. We're going to bring you those Righteous Media Five Eyes in every episode and in everything we do. From our Vice TV television series to our podcasts like The Firefighters. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And you know the deal. If you're among the 40% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. But if you're just a concerned American from either party or no party at all who cares about the future of your country, this is your show. All are welcome. We invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. So share the good information and please keep sharing the hope because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And it's how we'll keep this movement of independent Americans growing week by week. And we will stay vigilant because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. Just like Arian said, 
You are not alone. And you can fucking do it. You can. Just like he did. Just like Colin Powell did. And just like so many others have done. So many others that created the future and represent it still now. It's a future we'll shape together because we're all in this together and we're all a key part of America's succession plan. From Charles Barkley to General Colin Powell to Dolly Parton to Wheels the Turtle to Delfino Sanchez to Arian Moyed to you. All across this country, we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you so much for listening and for continuing to share this show. Stay vigilant, America. America.